Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, folks. Here's a new episode of the podcast. And just before we get stuck into this one, I'd like to remind you that this podcast is made possible thanks to two things. First of all, donations from my listeners... And thank you sincerely if you have contributed to the podcast recently. I do all of this in my free time while juggling various other things going on in my life. It's sort of a labour of love. And when I get a donation, it means a great deal to me. It means that I can keep going with the podcast. And also that there are people out there who really dig these episodes, which is amazing. And also, I receive support from my sponsors. And for this episode, that's italki a super popular online platform that connects language learners with language teachers. And if you're looking for one-to-one lessons with qualified teachers or conversations with native English speakers, then italki is where you can find them. You can then have regular English-speaking sessions and lessons to suit your needs and your timetable. This is how technology is now helping people learn languages and your geographical location is not really an issue anymore. Buy some talking time with italki and they'll give you a free lesson because you listen to this podcast. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk for that offer or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're doing well today. In this episode, I'm talking to friends of the podcast, Amber Minogue and Sarah Donnelly, about the subject of raising children in a foreign country, in this case, France, where we live. So this is an episode all about cross-cultural experiences, specifically relating to parenthood. It's also about a new podcast and stage show, which Amber and Sarah have just started. If you're a long-term listener to this podcast, then I'm sure that you'll know Amber. And you should also remember Sarah, because she's been on the podcast a few times as well. Amber and Sarah are both expats living in Paris, like me. They're also stand-up comedians who perform on stage in English here, like me. They're both with French partners, like me. They both have kids here in Paris with their French partners, again, like me. And now they are both podcasters, like me. Amber, who is from the UK, has been a podcaster for a while, as you may know, with her charming and quirky podcast about the history of Paris called Panam, which is available at panampodcast.com and on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Panam Podcast. But now Amber has joined forces with Sarah, who is from the USA, in order to work on a new project, which is called Becoming Maman. And maman is the French word for mum or mom. Uh, The project is primarily a stage show, a kind of two-woman comedy show, which is all about their experiences of having kids in Paris. 
I saw the first performance of Becoming Mammal a few weeks ago, and it was brilliant. The two of them are very funny as a double act, and the show was full of very astute and amusing observations, jokes and sketches about life as an English-speaking expatriated uh, mum bringing up children in Paris. As well as the stage show, they're also doing some videos for Facebook and YouTube and the new podcast, which is also called Becoming Mammal. In the podcast episodes, Amber and Sarah typically sit down together and discuss certain issues and experiences relating to raising children in France, particularly the differences in the parenting culture between France and their home countries of the UK and the USA. If you're already an email subscriber or perhaps a regular visitor to my website, then you might know all of this already. You might be going, yep, yep, got it. Been there, seen that got the t-shirt, already subscribed to Becoming Mammal. I have already become mammal, you might be thinking. Um, email subscribers might already know about this because I wrote a post last week to let you know that I'd been interviewed by Amber and Sarah on their podcast and I shared links so that you could listen or download that episode and subscribe to their podcast. In that episode, uh, the episode of Becoming Mammal uh, on which I was featured, um, uh, they asked me about my experiences of becoming a dad. And we talked about how children learn languages. Uh, for more information about their project and for all of the links, the podcast, the podcast on iTunes, the Facebook page and all that stuff, check out uh, the page for this episode on my website. You'll find all of the relevant links. So raising kids in France when you're not French and the differences in the parenting culture between France and the UK and the USA. These are the things that we're going to talk about in this episode, as well as a few of the usual tangents, including some thoughts about differences in the behaviour of boys and girls, and whether these differences are caused by innate factors that children are born with, or uh, maybe the subtle ways in which we encourage certain kinds of behaviour as parents. Um, like, what do you think, ladies and gents? Do you think that boys naturally like the colour blue? Uh, do, is that something just innate? Are we are boys born with a preference for blue? Uh, or is this something that we kind of encourage um, as the child is growing up? You know, we always choose blue things and we encourage, we kind of reward them when they choose blue. I mean, blue and pink, you know, um, Blue being the traditional colour for boys and pink, the traditional colour for girls, is one example. Other examples of like this sort of thing could be the ways, the, the kinds of toys that boys play with, the kinds of toys that girls play with, or the sorts of jobs that you know we expect or encourage boys to choose, and the sorts of jobs that we expect or encourage girls to choose. Are these things just n sort of natural or things that we teach our children? That's one of the tangents that you can hear in this episode. And, well, just before we begin, I'd like you to consider how this topic relates to your life experience in some way. Because you might not have kids, um, and, you know, you might not live in France, but since you're out there probably learning English, there's a good chance that your life is, has been, or will be affected by cross-cultural experiences of some kind, not just relating to parenthood, because ultimately that's what this episode is about. Really, it's about living in a different culture, okay? So thinking about how you have things in common with us 
should help you to generally relate to our conversation better. And by extension, that should help you to just get more out of it in terms of language learning and general enjoyment. So um, here are loads of questions now for you to consider before we get stuck into this conversation. And the point of this is just to try and bring you into the subject as much as I can. Uh, also, pay attention to certain bits of language relating to childhood and raising kids uh, that come up in the conversation. And let me also remind you about episode number 68, which is full of the language of childhood. And that's vocabulary and phrases, uh, phrasal verbs and things relating to uh, kids and raising kids and, and school experiences and things. You know, phrases like to bring up children or to raise children, uh, to grow up and to grow. All those sorts of expressions are all explained in episode 68, which is available in the episode archive, of course. Uh, so before you listen, here are some questions for your consideration just to kind of bring you into the subject. So first of all, what kinds of cross-cultural experiences have you had in your life? Have you ever lived abroad or spent a good deal of time with uh, people from other cultures? Did you notice any differences in the way that you or other people do things? That could include anything in life, really, like, for example, slightly, slightly different ways of doing business or eating food or communicating, but also different ways of dealing with children, maybe. So have you noticed any differences between different cultures? Uh, what are the challenges associated with the experience that you had with another culture or in another country? How did that make your life more difficult or crazy or funny or strange or interesting? For example, if you've lived abroad, did you find it hard to work out the administrative system in that country uh, or the work-life balance or maybe the approach to education at school? Could you imagine settling down in another country and bringing up children there? Or do you basically think you'll be doing it in your country? Um, for example, I always thought growing up that I would stay in, in the UK, really, even though I lived in Japan for a while. I always kind of thought, no, I'll probably settle down and raise kids and have a family in England. But here I am in France doing it, which is not something I expected. So what about you? Could you imagine settling down in another country and bringing up children there? Uh, maybe you're already doing it. If you already have kids, in what situation did you raise your kids or are you raising your kids? For example, are you and your partner from the same country and are your kids growing up in that country too? So that's a, a monocultural and monolingual situation. Um, can you imagine bringing up your children in a foreign country? perhaps with a foreign partner with several languages involved. So that would be a bicultural or bilingual situation, a bit like uh, my situation, Amber's or Sarah's situation. Uh, and how would that make things dif different or difficult? How could it make life more complicated? For example, consider the identity of your child or children. Where would you consider your children to be from? And how would you feel if they grew up to be from a different culture to you. Like, for example, for me, my daughter is actually French. So uh, although I'm English, living away from home, although this is basically my new home, um, for the moment anyway, and as it stands, we're, we're bringing up a, a French daughter. So she's basically going to be French. I mean, I will try and indoctrinate her in the ways of Britishness as well. But uh, to, you know, to an extent... Um, uh, she will be French and she has got a French passport. 
Uh, by the way, the French administrative system was very efficient on that one. They they um, processed and and created the passport for our daughter within about a week, which is amazing. So nice one to the French administration system there. It's not often that people say that. Anyway, um, so what about the identity of your child or children if, if you are bringing them up? Uh, in a foreign place. Let's say, for example, if you're Spanish or Polish or Chinese or Russian or Brazilian or from another place and you're bringing up kids in London, let's say your children were born in London and you're bringing them up there, for example, are your kids still Spanish, Polish, Chinese, Russian or Brazilian? Or are they now English? Because that's where they were born and that's where they're growing up, going to school and stuff. Like Many of their friends might be English. So are your kids English? Or are they somehow still Spanish, Polish, Chinese, Russian or Brazilian or from another place? How would living abroad also affect your parenting style? Should you, for example, adapt your parenting style to fit the new culture? Or should you keep doing it how it's done where you're from? And what if the parenting style in this other place is quite different to how it's done where you're from? What if you don't really understand the way they do it in this other place or maybe don't even agree with it? How would that be challenging for you? Should you sort of stick to the way you do it or should you be adapting to the way they do it in the culture where you're living? Um, How, you know, what's the best way of deciding that? Is it what's best for the kids or what you feel comfortable with? Would you feel somehow stuck in a grey area between the country and culture where you're from and the country and culture where your kids are growing up. Can you see how that's like being in a grey area? A grey area, you know, we've got black and white, and then in the middle, actually, you have a kind of grey area. Okay. Um, Are there certain advantages to this situation? Perhaps it can be much more exciting or diverse, and it could be a a more broad-minded lifestyle. What have you heard about parenting in France? What do you know about the way they bring up kids in France or in the UK or the USA? Do those places have a particular reputation for good or bad parenting? And for what reasons? Would you like to raise your kids in any of those cultures, the UK, France or the USA? Have you heard of a book? There's quite a famous book. Have you heard of it? It's called French Kids Don't Throw Food by Pamela Druckerman. Have you ever heard of that book? It's quite popular in the UK and the USA. French Kids Don't Throw Food by Pamela Druckerman. Have you ever heard of it? How about any other parenting guides which are basically about how they bring up kids in another country? Do any other countries that you know of have a good reputation for bringing up kids as far as you know? Like in the UK and the USA, apparently we look to France, uh, certainly with books like this, and we seem to think that in France they do it better. And we, there are, we have to, things that we can learn from the way the French do it. What about you? Are there other countries that people sort of look to, to as an example of like a good parenting model? Um, you know, people often look to sort of Scandinavian countries, don't they, to, to get examples of like the best way to do it. Because often, apparently, we, we seem to think that the Scandinavians are the ones who are doing everything correctly. Um, anyway, what if you ended up falling in love with someone from France, the UK, or the USA, or indeed any other place, moving there for love, having an adventure, and then finding out that you're starting a family in a completely foreign place. How would you feel? Maybe that's exactly what has happened to you. Or perhaps you're in a situation in which it could happen. And if you don't have kids in your life, 
perhaps you could consider the situation in which you grew up as a child. Would you rather have been raised by parents from the same country, uh, which is probably the case for most of you, or would you rather have been raised by parents from two different countries? How might that have affected your language skills and your identity in general? And going back to that question of boys and girls, do you think boys and girls behave differently because they're born that way or because we somehow encourage them as they're growing up? And finally, how could you put all of these thoughts into words in English? Well, with all those questions in mind, let's now listen to my chat with Amber and Sarah all about the challenges of bringing up kids in a foreign country and what it really means to become not just a mum or a mom, but a mammal. Sarah Donnelly, Amber Minogue, Hi. hello. Hello. Hi. We are sitting in Amber's flat at this yep. point in the morning. I think this is maybe the first time I've recorded a podcast. Well, not the first time. I've definitely recorded podcasts in the morning before. But not with us. Not with you. No. Sort of, normally, if I'm recording in the morning, it's like I'm on my own at home. But uh, in the morning, here we are. Yeah. Okay. This Good. is the new life of being a parent. It's like we've got time at 10 a.m. Yep, exactly. You've got to squeeze things in to different times. So, Amber and Sarah, you've been, obviously you've been on this podcast before. Yep. How, yeah. How are you, first of all? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm tired and really? ill. Yeah. What's up? <coughs> yeah, you can Just hear that. Working, uh, working hard as a comedian. Mm-hmm. Really? And, yeah. What have you been doing? I've just been performing a lot and I've got shows every night this week. And mm-hmm. um, it's just hard when, you know, comedy shows. The great thing about being a comedian is that I can go be a comedian after my daughter's gone to bed. So yeah. I'm not missing anything. But then she likes to wake up at 530 in the morning. Ah. <laughs> so what time did you actually get in last night? I got in around midnight. Okay. And mm. I went to bed around 12. No, like almost to 1 a.m. Well, just before 1am I went to bed. This is the lifestyle of the, the stand-up comedian is that the, you, yeah. you end up going to bed late and you get up late, right? Right. Except that getting up late has just been washed away. Yes. Cancelled. <laughs> yeah. Getting up late is cancelled. You go to bed late and you get up early. early. Yeah. I see. So what, what comedy were you doing last night? I was on a show called One Night Stand. It's a show uh, in Paris by Gad MLA, who's a famous French comedian, and he's bringing over comedians from the U.S. to do, for one night only, they do, they do a show, and I got to open the show with our friend Sebastian Marks, and the comedian was Tom Rhodes, and he's an international comedian, so if anyone out there, maybe, you've, maybe they've seen Tom Rhodes. He's toured all over the world. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. So, okay. So that's me. So a big night of comedy, and then back to reality. Yeah. When you got home. Okay. <laughs> Good. How is the little one? Did she? Did, sorry, did she wake up in the middle of the night? Then she did. She does this thing where she wakes up um, at five thirty in the morning, and it's very cute. She's she's sleeping in our in our bedroom. Yeah, she has her own little bed though. But she goes, ba 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 da da, ba da ba da ba da ba, and she's just like singing and playing. And then when she sees movement from us, she's like, oh good, they're awake. Ah, ah. Well, then she cries. She cries to be like, I'm awake. Hello, come right. get me. And we're like, no. No. <laughs> you were like, no. No. <laughs> but they all no. do that. It, it, my, my son comes into our, our bedroom 
And he's just like, wake up. What? Look at me. It's morning. And then you're like, take his hand and like pull your eyes open. And you're like, no, just five more minutes. He's, wait, he's literally pulling your eyes open. He's, yeah. He's like on your face being like, mommy, 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 Amber, open your eyes. Wow. Let's go play in the living room. Let and you're me- like, let's play in the bed with our eyes closed. <laughs> Let's play the lovely pretend to sleep game. Let's right? play the sleeping game where we all just go to sleep for another three hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, how old is your daughter now? She's 15 months old. I would like to state for the record, what usually happens is then we flee, my husband and I, to the living room. We have a fold-out couch that we've gotten very good at unfolding and turning into a bed in like under three minutes. Yeah. And we get in there and she cries for 30 seconds and then she goes back to sleep. Uh-huh. And she sleeps for like two more hours. Mm. so wait so she she has woke here's how it goes she's woken up she's going and making these cute noises and then when she realizes that you're awake she screams her lungs out not screams her lungs out but she's just like you know she wants to get our attention like as she sees that we're moving around she's like okay let's play like let's get this party going like i got stuff to do it's 5 30 in the morning yeah let's let's get moving yeah and then Uh, we leave the room and she cries then she really cries because she's like where are you going and then she you know she falls asleep so you literally just leave the room and go and sleep in the other room (laughs) and after 30 seconds she's asleep again not 30 seconds but because you know sometimes you hear little noises but she falls back asleep for like a solid two hours okay Mm. Okay, great. But Amber... Good technique. Good technique. Your yeah. son, Hugo, is now... Nearly four. He'll be four, uh, he'll be four this weekend. Okay, wow. Mm, Birthday plans? This weekend? Yep. Oh, my God. He's a big boy now. He's <gasps> a big but boy. Birthday plans? Well, they're skiing. So I'm going to go up there and see them. <clears throat> and I've bought him uh, a doll. Because yeah. he wants a doll. Yeah. A doll? He wants a baby. Yeah. yeah. What? Hey, that's so sweet. He, he keeps saying like, uh, "Let's um, do you ha- let's have a baby. Let's do you have a baby? Do you?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> You're like, "I I can get you a baby." And so I bought him a, a doll. That's very sweet. Like a babe, a doll of a baby. Yeah, not an action man or something. I know this is very sort of gender oriented now. But I think action it's man great. Baby. And yeah, I got him a doll. No, I got him a doll, a yeah. card game, and uh, yeah. And some bits and bobs, because he's got this little bottle that he really likes, and he's sort of feeding his teddies, and uh, he wants a doll. And okay. I was like, I don't have a doll. That's weird. It's because he's a boy. I've not bought him a doll. Why didn't I buy him a doll? Yeah. So I, so I got him one. Okay. Because he likes them. Wow. I think it's nice. I think if little boys did get to play with dolls and take care of dolls, maybe they'd grow up and you know, well, but take little care boys do babies. Well, they do. I mean, <laughs> I know a little yeah. boy who grew up and takes care of a baby right opposite us. What? What? Yeah, I'm taking yeah. care of a baby. Yeah, you are. Not as, not as much as my wife does, but that's because I don't lactate. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that um, is a biological difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, you know, if you see a little boy playing with a doll, it's fine. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we should encourage that. Have little boys play with kitchens and dolls and stuff he's so then when kitchen. they're older they don't think oh women do this yeah he's got a little kitchen why do you think he's it is that, that, that boys i mean traditionally uh, play with boys toys and girls play with girls toys do you think it's that boys are just born with the desire to play with cars and things and no, girls are no. born with the desire to play with baby stuff no, no? I, th- no? I think it's with what we give them yeah Definitely. And it's, it, there have been studies on it. We give, there was actually a video floating around from the BBC. I saw it. Yeah. They, they took little boys and little girls, you know, toddlers, 
you know, you can't, and they dress them in the opposite sex's clothes. So they just, they don't look like a boy. Or if we put my daughter in boys' clothes, she'd look like a boy. It's just what they have on is kind of assigns that gender identity. I bet that video made some people angry. You know, you know, if you scroll down and look in the comments I'm section, sure, yeah. Probably, but there's some yeah. idiots there. Anyway, go on, go on. So, and then what they did is they had volunteers come to play with the little babies, and they found when and the, they put a mat out with with all, all sorts of toys. toys, just a big mat. Yeah. It had loads of different toys. Yeah, and they found that when the when the little boys were dressed as little girls, the the caretakers were bringing them soft toys and dolls and stuffed things and uh-huh. those traditional. Yeah. girl toys and when the little girls were just as boys they were bringing them more like puzzles, puzzles. and hard toys and cars mm. and things like mm. that and then at the end they revealed this was actually a little boy or this was a little girl and the people kind of had their comments being like oh wow i didn't i, I thought i was quite open-minded yeah, yeah. i and think that, people yeah. do it without realizing yeah. that sort of gender bias and one of the big differences between girls and boys you know or men and women is that sort of spatial awareness and mm-hmm. the puzzle solving mm-hmm. but really if you're programmed from the earliest age to solve puzzles and i mean i know that i do a lot of puzzles and stuff like that with with my son and uh you know and it's that kind of programming so i think that is a great skill but we're yeah. just under expecting it for girls and then behavior which is acceptable like are boys more boisterous or do we accept that behavior right. more readily boisterous sort of um, rowdy or loud or running around or physical mm. lots lots of energy and so when a little boy movement. displays that behavior are we more happy to accept it and so therefore encourage it and when a little girl does it do we expect them to sit down and play quietly so it's really hard to say because I, I, I taught very young children who were only like four or five and I did see a difference like the little girls did sit down and do coloring more easily than the boys but was it already kind of put in place even mm. by that early age yeah. right so I mean yeah I think <coughs> it's a real question it's a very long-running debate I think yeah. and that that um goes through many things including you know the the behavior that children have uh, the way they that they learn language and lots of things you know are we born with those predispositions or is it all just stuff that we are taught or that we learn after we're born mm. so it's yeah it's, it's a kind of um constant mystery we never quite know the answer to that problem but yeah i'm certain that um boys and girls are uh, from the very beginning sort of taught uh, to to behave in certain ways but just right. through encouragement or yeah. certain responses that we give to them and mm. models that we put in place yeah. i mean i think for little girls parenting is a real question like in some ways i think it's easier with a, a little boy because mm. he's sort of winning it's easier in some ways in society generally for boys, you know, that encouragement, that all of those things. Like I think for a little girl, like you, there's so many things you need to sort of encourage. Like, you know, are you giving her enough science and puzzles? Are you being gendered? Like the role model that you're setting as mum and dad. Like I sometimes think I want my partner to do more housework because I want him to see that model of like a man also cleans up the house and also yeah. does the shopping and you know things like that you know you, you you're setting it's true what we see is what we do is what we do and monkey see monkey do but oh. and even and even this not, is why not, not that our children are monkeys Although- <laughs> oh they are they are total monkeys if you ever doubt in evolution play with children i mean they're monkeys yeah they you climb know, they screech they just they that throw ch- shit ch- they're monkeys in terms of development uh, uh i've heard that uh like if you take a a, a human 
child, a human baby and a chimpanzee baby, and uh, they have the same level of intelligence, same level of development up to a certain point. Mm, yeah. Uh, no, I'm, not sh- better. I'm not sure what the point is. Maybe about... <laughs> You could make a joke there. <laughs> 24 years old or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know what the point is. Yeah, but the, they kind of follow a similar uh, sequence of developments up to a certain point. So in a sense, they are. it is like having a little monkey sometimes. Yeah. I think they're, to- I mean, the they're fact- total monkeys. I don't know if it's chimpanzees. I forget which species of big apes. But, you know, they can... They can- do sign language and, yeah. and all sorts of incredible things. are cleverer than small children. I mean, they're bright. Yeah, they have yeah. like complex societies. Anyways, this is going down a path. I've seen, I've seen I don't Planet know of the Apes. About. They're very sophisticated. <laughs> they, they can ride a horse. They can, they can <laughs> ride horses. Guns. They can shoot guns. They can speak really well. Oh, so I remember well. I was a young girl and that movie, the original with Charlton Heston came on television and mm. it scared the living daylights out of me. It, this was like 1970s sci-fi weirdness. We're talking about the film Planet of the Apes. Yeah, The original. It scared me so much why I, just the i don't the whole vibe it's creepy and yeah. how they shot it and the monkey faces and human yeah. they, i don't know i was like too little i watched a lot of tv growing up unsupervised i watched a lot of stuff i should not have been watching and that, that was something i should not have been that watching. does explain quite a lot <laughs> i understand everything now considering i watched kids in the hall which is a great canadian oh, I love, I love oh, that's that. so funny it, yeah. but i was watching I'm when i was like it. I'm, 10. Crushing I'm crushing your head i was watching that when i was 10 years old and absolutely fabulous which i also loved mm. when i was 10 years old right not that really sounds fine to me and <laughs> but no but <laughs> Everyone was... No, but that doesn't seem too young. Kids you guys, was hilarious. Yeah, but you're like a bit older than me. So at that time, it was probably a I know bit what, more age-appropriate for you. No, but I mean, I still think 10... <laughs> I, feel, I still think 10's okay for kids in the halls. So hold on. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. We're, we're talking about... I'm a the terrible fa- mother. We're talking <laughs> about the fact that Sarah, uh, when she was 10, was exposed to certain television programs, including <laughs> Absolutely Fabulous. I don't see really any problem with that. It's a bit that. sweary, but that's fine. Some swear well, words I just think it, it's but... like when you're 10, you're a child. So there's, this, that's an adult show. It just... A lot went over my head, but I liked it somehow. Like some, okay. I found it something... I found it really funny. I didn't get the jokes, like all the drug references and uh-huh. the alcoholic bit. I just knew mm. she was a mess, but I couldn't right. pinpoint... Right. Why? Why? Well, I just, it's a colourful show. It's, a good, it's got good energy to it. And, um, Sweetie darling. Yeah, the way they speak is funny. Yeah. Okay, so where, where were we? We, we, we got we distracted by, by monkeys. That was my fault. Yes. I just heard monkeys and I got distracted. And then we ended up talking about uh, watching Planet of the Apes as a child and it, it deeply affecting you emotionally. And, just, and it was a scary... It was, scary film. Yeah, it's definitely a scary film. So, yeah, the, the development of children. So, uh, where were we, though, Amber? Help. Where were we? We were talking about boys and girls. And boys and girls and genders. That's right. Sort of the way that uh, children are, are encouraged to behave in certain ways. And is that, uh, you know, are gender roles um, uh, given to children or, or are they born with them? Um, now, all right. You two have become a kind of comedy double act. And I'm not just saying during this conversation. <laughs> I mean, generally, generally in your lives, you've become a comedy double act. Isn't that right? We have. We yeah. have. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've become comedy wives. Comedy wives. It's like sister wives, but we don't share a husband. No. <laughs> sister wives? <laughs> don't that, understand. That is a reality TV show in the US that follows uh, a Mormon family, but they're like not the traditional Mormons and they've got like 
six wives or five wives and they follow all the wives. They're called sister wives. When you have, when you're in the polygamous family, that sounds amazing. Sister wives, okay. but we're, but we're comedy wives. Okay. Comedy wives. Yeah. Comedy wives. All right. Yeah. And um, so you're doing um, several projects together. Yeah, that's right. Can you tell me about them? Yes. What's what's going on? Amber? We, we've okay. We've got lots of different projects. We. Um, where can I begin? We've got a podcast, a show, and we've got a video project that we're working on. Yes. And it's all under the umbrella title Becoming Maman. And Maman means mommy or mummy in French. Yeah. yeah. And okay. so I think we, we wanted to do a show together because we're both mums. When you say show, you mean a stage show. Stage show, yeah, exactly. Because right. we're... we're as you've said, I think many times on the show, you know, you're stand-up comedian, we're stand-up comedians, we perform on stage, and I don't even know where the idea came from. It just feels like it was kind of always there. I don't know. It's kind of like, yeah. I don't know so, how we thought of the I idea. Think, I suppose, it's, I guess, it was the fact that, you know, you're both in a similar situation of having, right. being expatriated um, yeah. Uh, women living in Paris who've had children and yeah. you're both stand-up comedians too. So you're, you know, you've got lots of things in common in that sense that you're bringing up kids uh, in this foreign country. Yeah, right. With, and so you've got similar stories to tell. We've got similar stories. Yeah. That, I mean, like the Anglophone scene in Paris is quite small. There's really not very many women. We've, yeah, we're kind of covering the same topic since Sarah had uh, her baby. And I suppose sort of putting our forces together, it kind of felt like a natural progression yeah because you especially for me being pregnant i had my own show and i was doing it at the end of my pregnancy and i was talking about being pregnant on stage and comedians we love to talk about our lives and what's happening and that's relevant to us and Mm -hmm. so i wanted to talk about having a baby and exploring these topics and amber already had in some ways and i thought her material was great and i I think amber is very very funny and i've always loved seeing her on stage and like she was saying there's not very many women performing uh so it's nice when you find someone that you you know you respect as a as a peer and you actually you you like them as well as a friend and she's been a great friend to me so exactly so we're spending more time together we kind of had this idea for a show and an opportunity to work in a different way not just doing sort of straight stand-up and i was kind of musing doing a pod like i love podcasting as you know i love listening to podcasts being on podcasts i've got my own podcast about history but i was also thinking about one about mummy stuff and so when we were doing the show when we were sort of planning the show i said we need to promote it but also perhaps have an opportunity of meeting other mums and learning about this subject because the idea of the show in a way it's called becoming maman rather than being maman and that's a deliberate choice because we are not yet maman we are mums we're we've got children but we're learning what it means to be maman and that's like the french mum so because the podcast our is children like are french yeah meeting your ch- people your children are french yes are they yes are they um, yeah yeah mine has it's a just... french passport she's okay. french by birth she's she's french both of our children by by naissance by birth they became french they're french but then that kind of sort of curious space of like are they french uh, aren't they are they bicultural are they bilingual and that journey to make them very much bilingual, bilingual bicultural, bicultural yeah mm. but uh yeah because our partners are are french and so and we live in france mm-hmm. so that's why my experience for example going through my pregnancy having the baby at the maternity hospital now having my daughter in childcare here in France, my experience with that is is uniquely French. I, I, I don't 
I don't know how to have a baby in the U.S. because I've never done it before. Mm. So, but yet I'm still not French. So it's kind of this, we live in this interesting space of we're following along in the French way, in the French system, and we're not. And so just trying to figure it all out. And mm. that's kind of the concept. So that, that's the concept of like yeah. trying to, you know, become this uh, a mother like uh, the French do it. Well, okay? I don't know if we want to be a French maman, but I guess it's like, I can't, I'm not, as I just said, like, I'm not a full American mommy because my child's not being raised in the US and I'm not in that cultural context, but I am American. And in the same sense of, you know, I live in France and so I'm following things in a French cultural context, but again, I am American. So it, it's kind of, we're just in this weird no man's land of like, yeah. what is the the culture and kind of bumping up against those myths of what it means yeah. to be a mother because yeah. you know there's always there's always a new book to beat parents with you know now danish children are the happiest they never cry <laughs> but you know french children don't throw food and i don't know japanese children are the best i mean so there's always this sort of notion like do we parent differently um yeah. is that an international notion or is that just a, a notion that uh, English and American parents are aware of? Do you think, you know, because you mentioned uh, yeah. uh, uh, the title of a book there, um, French Children Don't Throw Food, mm. which is um, a book written by a French, an, Ameri- an, an American. American. And in it, so the, the title in the UK was French Children Don't Throw Food. The title in the US was Bringing Up Bebe. It's oh, two really? different titles. Interesting. Um, But it's written by an American author named Pamela Druckerman. She was a journalist, or she still is a journalist. And it's about her experience um, having children in France. But her partner is English or Dutch? Yeah, I'm not sure. Her partner's not French. Okay. So so it's written by, sorry, an American woman who who brought up children here in France uh, with or without a a French partner. Not a French partner, probably. Um, No, it's definitely not a French partner. Okay. And that book was... Extremely successful yes. in mm. the UK and in the USA. Yes. yes. And this is part of what you're saying is a, a trend to look to other cultures yeah. in order to, and, and it seems different cultures at different times seem to, to be better. the perfect model right. for bringing up children. Yeah. Okay. Does this mean that in America or in the UK, we don't know how to bring up kids or is it, or, or what? Or, you know, why do you think this book was so popular? Well, the, I think mm. there's this, in the UK, the reason they called it French children don't throw food is that the UK, as close neighbours, friends and uncomfortable allies with France, is often looking to France for they do it better. French women don't get fat, 60 million French people can't be wrong, you know, the French eat better, live better, fuck better, like they do everything better in France than they do in the UK. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of trend of that. So I think there's, it's marketing, you know. Totally. And, and I think maybe parenting or questioning parenting or that maybe that is a trend in the uk you know there's this do i, I don't know but do they just feel that they don't know what they're doing <laughs> maybe well or, i don't think any anyone feels like they know what they're doing and that's why you have so many parenting books out there for so many different yeah. angles of parenting or how you want to parent i i feel like in the u.s just to follow yeah. the question um americans we love France. When we say France, we really mean Paris. Yes, I, yeah. Um, but we do, but there are a lot, many Americans who do travel to the south of France. But in general, we have this love of, we're like, oh, Paris, it's so, oh, the bread. And we're just so enamored by it. So anything that comes with this French caption on it, we're like, oh, 
it's got to be amazing. And, right. Uh, That's very interesting. I've, I've Obviously, I've noticed it too, that yeah, uh, yeah. the way Americans <laughs> seem to romanticize Paris. Oh, yeah. It's quite funny to me. It uh, is funny, yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, so, um, all right, maybe also it's... It, it could be something to do with the fact that American and British parents are willing to look beyond their borders in order to, to find the best sort of way to parent. It's a pragmatic yeah, thing maybe. of just like, well, um, um, I don't know what I mean. But it might be that uh, they're quite open-minded in the sense that they're looking for different ideas all the time rather than just having this one framework yeah. which they are stuck mm. to. I think that's also culturally present like I feel in France maybe they do it less like it's my experience this is not a a fact but in my experience I feel like there's less questioning like in France like you know it's like this breakfast is this lunch is at this time then you have goûter goûter is this this time you go skiing the school children go to school like this like it's kind of their structure and it kind of works you know they are they feel more structured as a people and a society generally and there's not a lot of people questioning less doubt i just feel that french parenting or maybe bigger than parenting generally frenchness they don't question it maybe it's because everyone else is like you're the best they're like we are um <laughs> but I've, yeah, I've noticed that too the lines are very clearly drawn yeah here, and it's kind of like there's this very clear structure that everyone works within Comme and, il faut. and and yeah. that's just the way it's done here right. which is a very secure um system i suppose also especially for bringing up kids because you kids like to have clearly defined uh, boundaries and borders and structure and stuff around them so that's a cultural thing maybe in the uk we don't we have slightly less clearly defined boundaries and so it's more of a sort of pragmatic thing of like well let's just do whatever works um uh, you know the, the structure can change or adapt well i think in yeah. france there is a great framework for being pregnant early childhood education raising your kids it's it's all it's all there you get fantastic prenatal care postnatal care support it's it and so everyone does kind of do the same thing because that framework is in place for everyone whereas and so it feels definitely more community in some ways yeah um whereas in the u.s you're it's kind of like you can do whatever you want but you're also on your own yeah and i don't know if you heard recently um there's been a lot happening, a lot of talk in the U.S. talking about how the mortality rate uh, of mothers after childbirth is, is going up, especially for women of color. And we're like 30th in, in the world. So we're, we're, so we're not in a good position considering we're allegedly, you know, have this fantastic uh, health care in terms of quality of care system. So Serena Williams, international tennis star you know number one one of the best tennis players to ever live just had a baby and she has a history of blood clots and blood clots blood clots yeah you may need to explain that one um that's that's the problem with blood sort of flow it's when blood congeals it causes it's not sort of um yeah when 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 you uh so blood when it's normally flowing around the body it's like kind of liquid but sometimes um blood becomes a bit more solid and, that, and like a blob of blood. The technical is, term is coagulate. But coagulates, right. Yeah. So when blood coagulates, it becomes a clot. It's not a very nice thing to... It's a blockage to, and it's, it's very dangerous because it can go to your lungs, heart or brain and it can basically kill you. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it, yeah. it will block blood flow and oxygen in this. Right. So she's had a history of this. She knows this. She had pain in her legs. She felt that this was similar. She told the nurse, 
I need an MRI. I need this medication. She was extremely clear about what she needed. And the nurse kind of brushed her off thinking, oh, she's, you know, she's on pain medication. She doesn't really know. And she was like insisting, insisting, insisting. And finally, after like 30, 45 minutes, I don't know how long, but finally a doctor did look at her and indeed she did have blood clots and she was in a very critical state. And so... This, and this she's a woman who's quite powerful. Powerful, because you know she's a celebrity. You yep. know she's 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 really engaged with her body because she's an athlete, and you know because that's part of the problem yep. not feeling that you have the right to talk. Right, and she and she was very confident and knows, you know, she knows her health. She was not afraid to speak up, and it saved her life literally. Yeah. So, so I just sorry. I know we kind of went far, but it's a it's an interesting story. But I guess what I'm saying is. In France, not saying that couldn't happen in France, but in France, it seems like there's this structure and this framework, whereas in the U.S., it's like you have the baby, you're out of the hospital, you're not getting the care you need, and it's kind of like you can do whatever you want, but we're not going to help you. That's in uh, in the French system, uh, they're a lot more rigorous in terms of checking everything, that there's um, people in charge that uh, keep you in the hospital a bit longer. They keep you in the hospital regular checks. They come to your house afterwards. They're really... Everything's monitored. And, you know, it's also perhaps related to the the political situation that that in France you've got sort of something more like socialism certainly compared to the United States where you know socialism is sort of uh, a dirty word for many people oh yeah you know Um, so the state is much more involved in people's lives and you see that in pregnancy and childbirth that uh, yeah the the health system is really there monitoring everything and sort of they've got everything under control whereas in the States it's more like every you know just everyone for themselves everyone for themselves and it's it's crazy so So anyways that that took a darker turn but it's a very interesting story it's an interesting it's an interesting example because it just shows that maybe in the United States you you have to look after yourself a bit more and if you if you're not able to do that if you're not maybe strong uh, as a personality or you're not even educated uh, about certain things that if you don't check them out then uh, you know a problem might happen and that's why uh, you mentioned the mortality rate of mothers after they'd had uh, children. Um, so, okay, all right. It's just uh, yeah, it just went a little dark. It there, went a but- little dark. But let me let me say something. Let me change to something positive. Talking about the structure. So, goûte is the snack. Yes. And children typically have their goûte between around four o'clock in the afternoon. Little snack. A little snack. snack. Yeah. yeah, and it depends. But like from the time babies can eat when they're eating more regular meals to, you know, I don't know, high school or whatever, you have a goûte. And it's funny because around four o'clock, if you're in France, anywhere in France, and there's children, just take a look. And you will see, and it doesn't, it can be on this, we stopped recently, we were traveling on the side of the road, you know, you could see families having a little picnic. I was in a museum this past Sunday, there was a woman with her daughter, it was four o'clock, they were giving the goûte, we were giving the goûte. Everyone does it. Yeah. About everyone does it. Yeah. Every yep. single child in the country is having a goûte, a snack at that moment. Thereabouts. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And you and you can notice this when you're in France. Just next yeah. time, if anyone lives in France or uh, visits France, if you're in a cafe, just take a look around around four o'clock, four thirty, and see if there's children and are they having a little snack. Okay. It's true. French people are kind of on the same page. Yeah. There's this sort right. of feeling of like we we all agree because we were just yeah. talking earlier about those books. Like I think in America and Britain, there's a lot of that tradition of questioning, writing self help books, and it's sort of like anyone can do it. You know, here I I even feel like the 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 thinkers, the childhood thinkers they've sort of been like that's the person like there was is it, what's her name what? Françoise Dolto I think yes, you know yeah, she's Dolto. like the childhood sort of 
philosopher, thinker, and we're like, we all agree with her. Well, in France, that <laughs> yeah. they, they've, they've basically given one philosopher the job of just deciding the best way to look after kids. And that one person has worked it out and everyone's like, right, fine. That we'll sounds just, good. Well, what she said. We'll just do what yeah. she said. A little that bit. Does, yeah. That does exist uh, in the US. There's Dr. Sears yeah. and the Ferber. So yeah, every generation, I think, has their... Their person. their person, but in France maybe less so because she's from the seventies. Yeah, I believe. she's so she's, she's old school. She's lasted. Okay, so but the point is that uh, where were we? So the idea of becoming maman is different because um, and because it's it's a whole other structure and a whole other culture of bringing up children. And uh, that book, French children don't throw food, yeah, right. which is the title in the UK, is so popular is because. Within that book is a description of this uh, structure that children are brought up in here, mm-hmm. and that and that and from British people they want to read about that because they they see French children and they see that their behaviour mm. uh, apparently is better, yes, and so they want to know why, and that's why uh, this this book was published, and that's why it's such a success that British British parents who don't have this structure uh, that they that French people don't maybe even realise is well, there. Uh, they, British parents, you know, have to go out and look for a book that will British parents want to believe that this uh-huh. is real. Like, this is real. Yeah. And, and the woman who wrote this book wants to sell this idea that this is real. But, I mean, it's, it's basically nonsense. I mean... But, but do French children throw food? Of course yeah. they do. They're children. Right. And- <laughs> children throw food. <laughs> yeah, children okay. throw food. I think that the, the, the difference is it's just, um, you know, it's there are just slightly different approaches to how children should behave in public. Yes. And they're strict yeah. on it in France. Well, I think going back to this idea of the structure, many children from the time they're little babies until they go, first of all, school starts here at three. But many children are in some sort of um, state-sponsored daycare until three. Not all, but many. And then most children are in school from three. You don't have to put your kids into, in school until they're six. Yeah. But most children at a very young age, when they're learning how to sit at a table and eat and these things, they're doing it in a group setting and they're learning together. That, and so for me, I think that's why mm. they have these good table manners because they're taught them all together at the same time at a very young age. And again, that early childhood education is severely lacking in the U.S., so everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And when they come to school at five, it's kind of everyone's had a different experience at that point. And they're hot on food here. I mean, oh, honestly, yeah. when and when my son was at creche, he was two, you know, he's at two and a half. If you looked at the menu, it was made on site. It was using organic food. And it was, uh, they had a, a, a starter, a main course, a cheese course, and a dessert. Oh my God. Yeah. At two. At two. <laughs> at two. A cheese course as yeah. well. Yeah. And it was a different cheese every day, a different dessert every day. Obviously, like, it's small portions, but it really was. It'd have, like, some sort of crudité, like some, you know, some carrots or some cucumbers or some, like, you know, something sort of fresh for the starter. A main course, you know, which would have yeah. a meat and, like, different cereals. Some starch They'd have thing. I mean, they really take sitting down and eating very seriously from a very young, young age. age so french children are better in restaurants than maybe british children right. and eat more widely because they are having these kind of really amazing meals <laughs> from tiny I mean, let's be honest this is france and the one thing they take extremely seriously is their food so seriously and meals so of course at a young age they're going to be they're better it. yeah 
I mean, that's, okay. that's, yeah. So I suppose the way that children behave is reflected in the way that they are brought up, and that's a reflection of the general culture. Uh, so France has perhaps slightly more of a common culture than the UK or the USA. I think the USA is a little bit... Uh, more individualistic yeah. than Britain, but which is Br- a cultural Br- trait of the U.S. Yes. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Individu- individualism. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You see, they forget. They look at children behaving lovely in restaurants. The British now look at these children. They're sitting so nicely. They're eating their cheese. You know, they're using their knife and fork, and they're only like four or five, of course, and it looks amazing. But then they don't see. Yeah. The the because the, there's always a flip side. Right. There's so, always a flip side. So so then the the situation is that okay. So we see French children who seem to be very well behaved. They've got great table manners. Apparently, uh, although they still throw food. Of course. Yeah. My know, daughter you know. threw her bread this morning. Right. Well. Okay. <laughs> and she, as I said, she has a French passport. So <laughs> you're wrong, Pamela Druckerman. <laughs> so, but but okay. But you. Um, anyway, Brits or Americans look at French kids and they see them being v- very well behaved. Okay. Yeah. But is there something that the French kids lack that the British or American kids have? Or like, what is the flip side of this then? I would say the flip side. I mean, there's lots of different things. You know, here the system is about you kind of getting it right. You know, there is a right way. There's a right way to sit down. There's a right way to write. You know, they're very sort of hot on graphism, which is writing. Handwriting. Handwriting, dictate. They do a lot of dictations. You know, grammar is taught in a way that it's not taught in the UK for various reasons. Um, It's harder here. I think we can all agree. Um, Well, And and so when it comes to expressing themselves, getting it wrong, standing up in front of each other and kind of, you know, holding forth. Trying something new or different. Hesitation about that. Um, And because, you you know, just like letting it all out maybe. And I think that that they're more inhibited. They're not good public speakers, French people generally. Um, Mm, Yeah, I've noticed that from my university students who, who... Half, probably more than half of them fit into this one category, which is basically where they just become robots in yep. front of an audience. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you get some, some of them are great. They're very comfortable and natural and they, they speak as if they're a human being telling you a message. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the majority of them just stand up and just, yeah, it's like a robot just reciting the text from Wikipedia. Yeah. I think um so I used to teach at the American school in Paris. Yeah. And we always had this uh the teachers would notice that when student French students would come into the school they just there was so much more freedom and it was like not just free, it, like freedom of expression like in French school if you want to stand up and throw something in the trash can you have to raise your hand if you need to use the toilet you have to raise your hand and ask the teacher That's- I have university students that still ask me this madame can I go to the toilet I'm like you are 22 years old and we're in a college lecture you just go, go. yeah um, and so for the French students coming into the America it was like camp and they were kind of go wild because they never had so much freedom because I think um, there's also a very interesting relationship between students and teachers in France and I think in in the US pedagogy and how we teach it's more of of a back and forth relationship you can have a dialogue with your teachers which doesn't really exist the teacher is on a similar level to the students Uh, yeah more approachable like you still respect your teacher and your teacher has authority but like the teacher, you know, will crouch down next to your desk and work with you. And yeah. I'm not saying teachers don't do that in France, but there seems there's a much more distance between the teacher of this is my teacher and I have to respect. Yeah. And, 
yeah. in, in France. Yeah, there's yeah. A, a more formal relationship. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah. yeah. And just generally, perhaps, with people, you know, yeah. the vous too way of addressing people creates distance um which is there linguistically so and isn't there so you might have a little banter with someone you don't know like a shopkeeper in england and it can feel quite warm does that does that happen so easily in france because there is this sort of formal way of speaking so a certain kind of distance or formality is built into the language too yes that's what you mean so the warm the warm conversation you can have with a shopkeeper in english um, is is perhaps warm partly because the language allows it to be. Whereas in France, you would if you you would have to call the shopkeeper vous, and that cr- immediately creates this formality. Yeah, and but this you can still have a, you could still have a warm yeah you can have a nice chat. But yeah. I'm I'm just wondering like does yeah. that does that sort of no. color the yes. relationship? Yeah. Cre- for example, um, my daughter she goes to something called an assistant maternelle. It's like a state certified babysitter and. This woman, she welcomes three children into her home every day. So it's a home daycare, but she's she's gone through different trainings and things like that. Yeah. This is the woman who watches my child every single day. We have a very lovely relationship. I trust her immensely yeah. with my daughter. We're very happy, but we still vouvoyer each other. We still say vous to we each other. We still say vous. And I really would like to tutoie her. I would really like to to her and... Yeah. and but I, she doesn't want. I can tell she doesn't want to. She would be uncomfortable. I with think that. because she sees we are her employer. That's yeah. um, we pay her. We you know we do her fish, uh, her pay stubs. Yeah. So for her, I think it's more comfortable to have that. But I'm the American in me. It's like I want to be friends, and then even I have to remind myself, Sarah, you are her employer. You're yeah. not yeah, exactly. friends. She's not just watching but maybe for fun it's maybe that makes it easier as well like if you had a problem with her like let's say there was something that you weren't happy with maybe it would be easier to approach her and be like okay you know because there is that little space i don't know it's complicated it's it's tricky so your show uh yes (laughs) which is called becoming mammal is all about your personal experiences of becoming a a, a mother in a french context and so there is a difference between mum and mammal uh, in fact, in America, you don't say mum. Nope, we don't say mum. And for some reason, it's mom. it's mom or mommy. And my French family, when they're trying to speak English, which is very kind, and they say mum, and it just like, oh, it just like really? grates on me. Like if someone called you mom, you would just be like, oh. And it's not because I, I, I'm not a mum because I, mum is synonymous with English, like from England, like British. And that's not me. I'm American. And yeah, I don't I've noticed. Wanna... <laughs> oh my god! So I I don't want to like keep yeah. correcting my mother in law because I don't want to be rude. But I'm like I'm a mom, and that actually mom that's my title. Yeah. Just to be clear, everyone, uh, mom the American one is spelled M O M, and mum the British one is spelled M U M. Right. Yeah. And maman the French one is M A. Uh, M-A-N. Yes. Okay, all right. Uh, So is there a difference between uh, the way that uh, mums raise kids and the way that moms raise kids? Well, for sure, because a mom is American, a mom is British, Yeah. and Mm -hmm. a mammal is French. And as, yeah, there's all... Here, here's a classic American mom. American mom, she's got her minivan. 
minivan. A minivan. Which is like a car. <laughs> it's a car, but it's it's a big car. We like okay. big cars in America. Yeah, yeah. But a minivan is a very specific car. It's kind of an uncool car uh-huh. that you only get when you have kids. Uh-huh. So we, you know, you pull up in the minivan and you've got your athleisure wear. This is a trendy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a trendy word. Do you know athleisure? Uh, I, I can guess what athleisure is, but go on. This is huge in the U.S. It's wearing basically <laughs> workout clothes when you're not actually going to work out. Yeah, well, I've noticed that when <laughs> having spent time in America, you see a lot of people walking around as if they, they're going to the gym or they've just come back from the gym. But they're not. But they're not going to no. the gym. They're going to go and eat some donuts. Yes. And they're, and they're just <laughs> hanging around in their gym clothes. It's called athleisure. Okay. So they're at leisure in athletic clothing. <laughs> yeah. I see. So the mom pulls up in her mini. In her minivan, she's in her, you know, leggings and sneakers and, you know, maybe maybe she wants to go for a run later and she gets the kids out of the car and they're going to the park or the idea of the soccer mom. They're going to the soccer game and she pulls out a little Ziploc bag, a little plastic bag of goldfish crackers. Okay, yeah, I've seen these goldfish crackers. Goldfish crackers. crackers, It's just a little cheese, as you would say, like a cheese biscuit in the shape of a little fish. Uh American kids are raised on goldfish crackers. (laughs) What are they made of? (laughs) They're just, it's just like a little cheese biscuit. It's just a little, like, snack. But Americans, we love snacks. Goldfish crackers. I was raised on goldfish crackers, and they are delicious, by the way. What about the mum situation then? I mean, because bearing in mind, like, the sort of socioeconomic things, like, sort of, mums are probably similar like american and english mums from the same sort of education financial thing there's you know are probably closer than different people in the uk who were coming from sure. very different so right. i'm giving Just, i'm giving but like Right, so a, a middle so a middle class what mom what would be the the what i just described as american mom what would be that British mum. The middle class mum, I mean, she would be, you know, um, trying, what would they do? You know, they'd be caring about what their children wear, looking to sort of, you know, do their best, like baking cakes, doing homemade stuff, making sure, you know, they were like, you know, hitting all the... um, the boxes, you know, making it look like they're nailing it. I think it's probably very similar to the American mom, but smaller. (laughs) Smaller, not a minivan. Not Not a a minivan. minivan. They got the bus. Well, it would be a mini, (laughs) it would be a minivan, but it would be genuinely mini. Mini, tiny. Um, And, and probably just less loud. Yeah. Right. And we have more space to be loud. You, ha- you do. We have yeah. to fill up the air with our exactly with our loud voices. Just the same as the American one, but just toned down. Everything's turned down a little bit. Yeah. That's that's it. I think that's probably the <laughs> in terms in the terms goal? of the general culture. There is still this sort of individuality going on, yeah. and and um, and all that stuff, and and the the mother feeling like she's doing her own thing. That. Uh, Rather than following uh, this preset uh, cultural structure, you know. What's the goldfish cracker of of England? Good question. What's like the snack that kids like? Come on, like Toast. a bag of crisps. I can't. No. No. I d- yeah. Well, it depends on the, again. This, I think probably the social class has something to do with mm. it. That uh, some mums would just be giving them chips and crisps all the time. Bags of crisps. But, I um, had bags of crisps growing but, uh, up. But <laughs> actually, I don't know because I I haven't brought I up feel... kids in the UK. So. See? But do you see how it gets yes, I see confusing? Because yeah, now here see. you are in France and you're raising your, 
child and I exist in this non-existent space exactly yeah. welcome yeah. to the gray area yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. well I'm sure you're that... in the channel you're in the channel well that's it the metaphysical <laughs> channel because you're going to try and like recreate your childhood yeah. and yet that's impossible yep. and at the same time you think no I don't have any preconceptions and yet you do you don't even realize you them until they start it. bumping up against yep. the fact that you're in France you're like where's the marmite Ah, or you know, or like, or like, I make beans on toast. That is a a meal. That I is love, dinner. I love beans on toast. And and like my partner is I like, what is this yeah. meal? And I'm like, this is dinner. It's beans yeah. on toast. This is perfectly acceptable. My wife m- makes fun of beans of toast, beans on toast, so much she can't even imagine that it's a meal. She's like, what? What is this? <laughs> or, it's carbohydrate <laughs> on carbohydrate. Or like jacket potatoes. For well, ages, Nico thought it was called Jack the Potato. <laughs> Jack the Potato. I was like, no, it's a jacket potato. It's a totally a meal. And you can put beans um, in the jacket potato, the potato. Yeah. with some cheddar. Now, I mentioned this before. I lived in the UK for a year. And so I became accustomed to beans on toast and chips and beans and yeah. lots of beans because I was a poor student. And they yeah. are delicious, but... I was with some other Anglo mom, meaning mums. I was with some mums and they were like, oh, well, you could do beans on toast for your kids. I'm like, I'm American. Like, I can't do that. Like, it's hard enough. Like, you're English and your husband is French. So at least you have a reason to make that food. But mine would be like, no, really, why are you making this? (laughs) Yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason. No reason for you to make this food. I have to make it. I'm just like, you need to eat this because it's very important he feels English. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we were discussing this the other night, how... Children identify is, yeah to keep our cultures in our families. Yeah. Now, um, so there's the stage show becoming mum where yep. you're up there telling your stories, telling your jokes about all these experiences, yeah. and also there's the podcast. Podcast, yes, which is available on the internet. It's iTunes. on iTunes, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, I believe Apple, they're called it's, now. If, if, oh. if, okay, if it's on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, it's. Um, it, it, basically, it's on all of the uh, apps yeah, that you use to, to get your podcasts. Yep. What's the name of the podcast? Becoming Mammal. Becoming Mammal. Mammal. M-A-M-A-N. M-A-M-A-N. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, becoming M-A-M-A-N. Becoming Mammal. Becoming okay. Ma-Man. I'm sure they'll find links to to uh, the podcast page on the website uh, for Luke's English Podcast. If they look for this episode, mm-hmm. uh, you can find the, the link there so they, they can subscribe to it, listen to it, and they'll hear you two talking yep. about becoming a mammal. Yeah. And I think we think this is interesting. Obviously, Amber's English, I'm American, and we have this... Uh, you know, bicultural family with France, but we think it could be interesting for anyone who's in a multicultural, bicultural family or someone who just wants to learn more about that experience. So we invite yeah. anyone to come have a listen. I'm sure there are many people all around the world who yeah. are living in similar gray areas yeah. as, as us. And this is something that's <laughs> happening more and more. But as... we're literally living in a gray area. It's very gray oh, yeah. in Paris. Oh, so gray. The, the we- we're talking about the weather, you see? You see the way we shifted to the weather there? Come gray, on. Gray Paris a- is flooding. Gray area. That was a, that was a joke. Did you notice? <laughs> Gray area. We're living in a gray area. We are. Thank you. The sky is literally gray. I felt oh, like that was so a very gray. Luke Thompson joke that I put forth there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Was good. That. Yeah. I like that very much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, I think you're going to invite me onto your podcast yeah, now. We, are. we can we are. perhaps carry on a similar conversation. Yes, but different. I'm not a mammal, though. 
So I, I, do I have the right to be on your podcast? Yes. Oh, yeah. I already figured out how we're going to bring you on. Okay. But you're, you're a my man. You're exactly. You're a my man. Okay. That sounds good to me. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, oh, I'm no good at ending. Uh, you know. well, that, that actually sounded really good until you just said I'm not good well, at ending. Well, I said, and, uh, and then I realized I don't have anything else to add. And uh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Okay. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you, Luke. Bye. Bye. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed listening to Amber, Sarah and me rambling on there about bringing up kids in France and becoming maman and all that stuff. Let me remind you that Amber and Sarah's podcast, Becoming Maman, is now available for you to listen to, including the episode in which they interviewed me about becoming a dad. Those links again for Becoming Mammon are on the page for this episode, but you can find the podcast on iTunes and, you know, in, in most podcasting apps and stuff like that. Check them out on Facebook as well. There are some videos there for you to check out. As I mentioned before, I do plan to do another episode about raising bilingual children at some point because I've had a number of questions about that. People, you know, have been asking me, so, you know, is it possible for children to learn two languages at the same time? How do you do it? And what are you going to do, Luke? How, how are you going to deal with that in your house? Well, I'll be talking about that at some point in more detail uh, in the podcast in the future. I could also refer you back, remember, to episode 68, in which I talked about childhood and school days, and I explained a lot of phrasal verbs and other vocabulary relating to that subject, um, and the other more recent episodes I've been doing about having kids. Uh, links for everything are on the page for this episode. In the meantime, I look forward to reading your responses to this episode. Okay, I'll start that. What happened? What happened to my face then? All right. In the meantime, I look forward to reading your responses to this episode in the comments section. Did you have any thoughts while listening to this? Like any thoughts? I hope so. I hope you weren't just sitting there just completely absent-minded. Like a vegetable or something. I hope you had at least some thoughts while you were listening to this. Um, Maybe you had some thoughts relating specifically to the subject we were talking about. Maybe you've got personal experiences to share. I'm sure that some of you do. Well, share them in the comments section. Don't be shy. Give it a try. Here are a couple of other reminders just before the end of the episode. Um, As ever, I remind you to join the mailing list to get a link in your inbox when I post something to the website. It's usually once or twice a week and my emails aren't very intrusive or anything. It's just a little kind of like, hey, I've just posted something on the website. Check it out. And if you are an email subscriber and you actually click on the links that I send you, then you might know stuff in advance before everyone else. You see, you can be one of the cool people who knows about stuff in advance. Like, oh, yeah, I already know about Becoming Mammal. In fact, I'm already subscribed, Luke, because I'm one step ahead of the game. (laughs) One step ahead of the game. Like this, like it's like a rap game or something. It's not a rap game. What's a rap game, Luke? Uh, it's It's not like a computer game where you have to rap, although that could be a good idea. No, the rap game means the whole business of rap music. I don't know. Sometimes you hear rappers talking about the rap game, you know? Um, and I kind of think, what what game is that? Parappa the Rapper? No, it's not Parappa the Rapper, which is an old PlayStation game. No, they're talking about being in the business of rap. So how did I end up talking about this? Oh, that's it. If you're subscribed to the email list, then you'll be one step ahead of the game. You'll be like a rapper who's really good at rapping 
and has got like a really good uh, music contract and you'll be one step ahead of all those fake MCs who ain't got game. Okay, I'm going to stop trying to talk like that now. Anyway, join the mailing list. That's the main point I'm trying to make there. Download the Luke's English Podcast app for, for your phone. <clears throat> Download the Luke's English Podcast app for your phone. Check out the App Store for the Luke's English Podcast app. It's not just a place to listen to the podcast, because I know you're thinking, but I already listened to Luke's English Podcast on another app, which I prefer. You might be thinking that, which is fine. I'm not you know, I'm not making fun of you. I also have my preferred app where I have all my favorite podcasts and stuff. But the the LEP app is not just a place to listen to the podcast. There's also a lot of other content in there, including videos, episodes of my Phrasal Verb podcast, and various app-exclusive episodes and other little bonuses and things. So, you know, it might pay to listen to, to listen using the LEP app. And just to get all that extra stuff, all that good stuff that's on there. Thank you if you have donated to this podcast. Uh, you're helping to keep the whole thing alive. And I consider your donation to be a very sincere way to say thank you for my work. And I would like to say thank you to you for saying thank you to me. All right? Good. Um, have a lovely morning, lunch, afternoon, dinner, evening, breakfast, night, sleep, cake, um, game of Parappa the Rapper or whatever it is you're doing, and I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.